All right, here we are, Christmas, and we are in this series called Constructing Christmas. I believe that um, God has been constructing Christmas through, for a very, very long time. It's not something that he decided on a whim. Jesus and God weren't in heaven and, and, and just started talking. He's like, hey, why don't, you, why don't you go down and save people from their sins, and why don't you be born of a virgin? And, Okay, I'll I'll do that next week, all right? It's something that has been planned for a long time. And it's very similar to, like if you were to build a house, if you were to build a house, uh, you have this this vision of of where you want it, okay? Maybe maybe you have a piece of of land picked out or or a lot, and you've got this vision, yeah, the house could face this way or face east or north or, or whatever, and the driveway can come over here, and we don't want to get rid of that tree, so that's a big tree, so we want to, you know, uh, make sure that tree stays, and you have this vision for what the, 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 it's going to look like, and then, then you get to the point to where you have a blueprint. You actually have lines that show exactly where rooms are and where things are going, and you get an architect to help you draw that up. And then you, you get to the point to where it's a foundation, and that foundation is poured, and, and you see that, that solid, sure foundation. And then you see the framework being put up little by little by little. And it, and it doesn't go up just in one day, but it just goes up little at a time. And so just like building a house and just like we are, are, are looking at building in a church as we're buying uh, property uh, there in Emerson and uh, going to be building a church here, we have a vision we, uh, and we'll, we'll be uh, talking to, we are talking with architects and we will be getting blueprints of exactly what that's going to look like and then a foundation and then a framework. Just like all of that, God created and constructed Christmas in that way. And so last week, we talked about sort of the vision of Christmas. And we can even see the vision of Christmas all the way through creation. Uh, John's gospel uh, said this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And John talked about how how, um, God was there with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus was, was the one in creation. All things were created through him. He was the spoken word. That, that vision of creation came from God. Jesus was the one, the architect and the builder through his spoken word. And we even see elements of, of his power to do that. When he walked this planet, he, he spoke things. He spoke to the storms, peace, be still. He, he spoke um, to, um, uh, to people who were, who were blind, who were lame. He spoke things into existence and healed things. And he showed that he had the power of creation. And it shows, reveals that he was there. And, and not only was he there at the creation of, of, of nature, but he was also there the creation of mankind. When God says, let us make man in our image. I talked last week how image really in that passage means a reflection. A reflection of something greater. Just like the moon is a reflection of a greater light, the sun. You and I were created to be a reflection of a greater light of the son of God in Jesus. And so uh, he was also there at, um, at the creation of mankind. And uh, so we, we talked about how the, the vision for Jesus coming to the world was already there. Jesus knew that, that man would fall. God knew that man would fall. 
It's just like when, when you and I, when Suzanne and I decided to have, have children, we knew that they were gonna mess up from time to time, but it didn't make us not wanna have kids. It made us want to say, we're gonna love them and guide them through this process, but they're gonna have free will and they're going to love us in return. They're also gonna make some silly mistakes. Well, God knew that. God knew that going in. And so that redemption plan was laid out the vision of God. So God can show his love for us by giving his one and only son. And Jesus can show his love for us by coming down in this world and die on a cross for you and I. And so that vision of Jesus and Christmas began a creation. And uh, today we're gonna talk on through how God set the blueprint of Christmas throughout scripture. So you have the vision of Christmas at creation, and then you have the blueprint. You, you start to get a, a better idea of, of that blueprint of, of what Christmas is gonna be like because we can see it throughout Scripture. And uh, we have, over the past 18 months as a church, been walking through uh, certain key characters in God's Word. And as we have spent time with them, we have applied things in their life, but we have also noticed some things in their story that God has brought forth and has showed us, look, here's a clue about Jesus. Here's a clue that something greater is coming. And you need to watch for these clues. Uh, one, there's not many shows that Susanna and I really have time to watch, but one of them, and, and, and we're really kind of behind on this one, on this season, but one of the shows we like to watch is This Is Us, and uh, some of you guys like to watch that, but if, if you look at that show and you watch for it, you need to watch for certain clues in certain episodes because they will reveal something, and when that something happens, you're like, oh yeah, I remember when this, and, and how this person, and this object, and this scene and, and almost like a, a show like that, God has been telling us and showing us throughout Scripture, look, here's some clues, here's a blueprint of how I've got something greater planned for mankind who I love dearly. And so we're, gonna, we're actually going to start there in, in the book of Genesis chapter 15, and I've got several passages of Scripture. You're more than willing to... Uh, follow along in your Bible, and I will have those out, but we'll also have these on the screen. So we're gonna just go through several of these, um, uh, these clues and to see how Jesus' um, story was being, um, was being built through these passages. So we're gonna look at Abraham. And uh, in Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15, verse five through six, it says this, he, meaning God, took him, Abraham, outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, <laughs> then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now the key word in that passage is offspring. If you, have a look, if you actually look at that, that word offspring, in fact, there's a, there's a note in my Bible that that uh, you can go down and kind of see what that word means. And it, and it has the word seed with a capital S. And it's, and it's not multiple seeds, it's one seed. So who is a seed? Well, the Apostle Paul explains in Galatians chapter 3, 16, 
So Galatians 3.16, you've heard of John 3.16. Well, here's Galatians 3.16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. It goes on to say in, in, in that same chapter, verses 26 and 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what is a seed? What, what is a seed? The seed is, is faith in Jesus as a seed. So what does that make us? Well, if you look at in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And then Paul even says in Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15, do everything without grumbling, arguing, so that you may, became blam- may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Now, that passage in Philippians, I know it talks about a kind of a different, a different subject to how to live the Christian life, but at the end, he talks about you will shine like stars in the sky. And when you shine like stars in the sky, what he's saying is this, you, just like the stars that Abraham was looking up at the sky, the night sky, when Abraham was looking at the stars, God wasn't talking about just Abraham's, off, just his offspring, his children, his, his grandchildren. What he was talking about, he was talking about the church. Your seed, one seed, Jesus Christ, will be the leader and the founder of the church, the bride of Christ. And that church will be as many as the stars in the sky. So we even see through the story of Abraham some snippets of Jesus and how he's going to bring about the church. And the church is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So that's Abraham. Then we moved on to Joseph. If we look at Joseph, we, we, we see that Joseph was, and I'm talking about uh, the Joseph, who was one of the sons of, of Jacob, and, and, and Jacob had, had uh, 12 sons, and uh, Joseph was the favorite one, the, the, the coat of many colors, and, and uh, his brothers didn't really like him, was very jealous of him, and actually sold him into slavery. We, we walked through this in one of our, in, in our Joseph series, but he, uh, he was sold into, into slavery. He was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Joseph was falsely accused. You go back and read that story. But yet he rose to a position of great authority in order to save many lives. As, as the famine was coming on to, into Egypt and, and Pharaoh uh, needed a plan and uh, because of a dream he had, Pharaoh needed an explanation of that, of that dream and a plan. And Joseph, God gave him that vision and that dream uh, interpretation and gave him the plan and Joseph helped save thousands if not millions of people from a seven year famine all across that region and just like that 
Jesus did something very similar. We read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, but Joseph said to them, he's talking to his, talking to his brothers who came to get food. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? <laughs> you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We see foreshadowing of what Jesus did and what Jesus went through. Jesus was also sold for, for pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was also falsely accused, but yet Jesus rose on a cross and he defeated death, hell, and the grave and saved all mankind. We see a little bit of this in Moses. There are many similarities in the, in, in the character of, of Moses. And the biggest, the biggest one is a deliverer, a deliverer of the, of the, old pre, of the oppressed. Um, you know, the gospel message is all about you know, the New Testament gospel message is all about uh, a, a deliverer and delivering those who are oppressed, those who are trapped in slavery of sin and shame and bondage. The Jews were in physical bondage with the Roman uh, the government. And there were absolutely no way out of this bondage. And uh, the Jews back in Egypt, they were in bondage to Pharaoh. They were slaves to Pharaoh back in Joseph's time and back in, in, in Moses' time. They were slaves back before Moses came and became the deliverer. And so just like there were slaves and people caught in, in bondage, today there are people caught in bondage. Back when Jesus came to the world, there were people caught in sin and shame and they needed to be set free. And just like Moses and and how God delivered that through supernatural ways, through all, through all of the plagues that happened, through, that, through the conversation of Pharaoh and, and, and the, the Red Sea parting and, and God drowning the, the uh, Egyptian army in the, in the Red Sea. And it's amazing. You go back and see supernatural things that God did. Well, I think that Jesus being born into the world as a, in, 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 to a womb of a virgin and coming into this world and dying on the cross and God putting all the sins of the world on that cross and all of the sin and shame, dying with Christ, laid in the tomb. That's hard to totally wrap my head around. <laughs> That's supernatural. That's supernatural. Just like it's hard to describe all the plagues that happened with Moses and the Egyptians as God was trying to set free those who were captive, the Jews, the Israelites. And so, yes, Moses was a deliverer. And just like that, Jesus was also a deliverer. We see, we see foreshadowing of that. We see also the 10th plague, which is the Passover. The Passover, the death angel going all across Egypt and, and striking the firstborn. And Moses telling the Israelites, look, I need you to take a spotless lamb and I need you to sacrifice it. And I need you to take that blood and I need you to wipe the blood on the doorposts of your home and the death angel will pass over that. And as we see that, direct correlation to Jesus as a Passover lamb, as a spotless lamb, as this blood was not spread on a doorpost, on a wooden doorpost, but was spread on a wooden cross 
for you and me, for all of mankind. And so we see how Moses, the story of Moses and what he went through pointed to Jesus. We see this in Joshua. As the Israelites are going into the promised land, Moses is gone, Moses has died, and Joshua is now leading the Israelites into the promised land. You know, the, the, the thing that jumps out at me is really grace. It's, it's really one of, the, one of the first times besides maybe God clothing Adam and Eve, Eve with, with clothing as a sign of grace for their sins. But, but this story that we find in, in Joshua about Rahab, the prostitute, that God giving grace to her because Joshua sent men to go check out Jericho as we, as we talked about this in our, Jericho, in our Joshua series and this prostitute, this lady living in sin helped these men, these spies by, by hiding them from, from the, the government officials there at Jericho and helping them to escape and, and asking, would you please save me and my family? Yes, Rahab, we will. And how God showed grace to someone like a prostitute. And you read through, through the Bible, nowhere do you have Rahab without the word prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute. And I think one of the reasons why is because God wanted to remind us, look, I am, I am here for those who are caught in sin, for those who are even labeled in sin. I am here for you. I'm not here just for the perfect people. I'm not here just for, for those who have got it all together. I'm here for those people who have junk in their lives. So whatever adjective you have after your name, guess what? God is here for you. God is here for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus came for you. And even what I love about Rahab is Rahab, Rahab was actually in the line, in the lineage of Jesus. You look in the first uh, book of Matthew. In Matthew, you look in the, and you look at the lineage of, of Jesus as Matthew, a tax collector who had, who had, the, uh, who had all the information as a tax collector of, of all the genealogies of, of everyone that led up to Jesus. And as we look at that, guess what we find? We find Rahab the prostitute in that chapter. And it's amazing how God's like, you know what? I'm even gonna use someone like Rahab the prostitute to be uh, in, in the lineage of Christ. No one is too far gone in sin. And that's one reason why Jesus, that's one reason why God has decided to use Rahab the prostitute. We see grace and that story of Joshua. And then we move on to David. We just got through finishing a series on David. We see signs that God has chosen him, David's family, to be, to be the forever family for the forever king. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 through 13, it says, when your days are over, and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What he's talking about, he's talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. God is telling David, 
look, your kingdom is going to reign forever. And it's hard to wrap our, our heads around forever. You know, we say, I, I, you know, to someone, I'll love you forever. We, we can't really love someone forever. We're all going to die. You know, will his kingdom, will there be someone in his family who will forever reign on the throne in, 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 of Israel? No. We, there, there's, there's countries that will come and take them away and move them into exile because of the sin and the lifestyle that the Israelites have decided to live in. And so there, there's no king. But what God is saying this, look, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's not about the earthly king. It's not about what you see. It's about something greater. It's about the offspring. It's about the, the capital S seed that I'm putting forth and he will reign forever. Jesus Christ. God's like, it's something greater than you can ever imagine. And so we see how David's life points to Jesus. We saw then in Daniel, and so as, as we have this uh, many, many years leading after David died and Solomon and king after king after king, and, and then the kingdom split, we had Judah in the southern kingdom and Israel the northern kingdom, and you had different, different kings and, and kings led in, in ways that were not honoring God and, and were against his word and, and having uh, idol worship and just detestable things in the eyes of God. And God's like, that's enough. I'm going to take, uh, I'm gonna take you to another place and I'm gonna move you into exile to get your attention. And so as we see that, we see that someone like Daniel was one of those. Daniel was, was a young teenage boy who's very smart and, and, and God was with his life and he walked with the Lord and Daniel was one of those. We have Daniel, we even had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as part of that group that were, that were being exiled to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And so as, as um, Daniel was there, God put him in a, in, into great positions because God gave him the ability to to interpret dreams and he helped Nebuchadnezzar and God gave him favor and put him in a position, uh, even to the position to where he was over people like the magicians there in, uh, in Babylon. And he was even over um, all of those, uh, not just the magicians, uh, but what is, um, what is also sort of the wise people, those counselors closest to the king, when the king needed something, he turned to people like these counselors and these magicians and, and all of these people had these special gifts and abilities. And this, this group was actually called the Magi. And so they, uh, Daniel was actually part of, this, part of this Magi. And even though the Babylonian kingdom was, was captured and by the Persians and the, had a new, uh, a new king and, and those Persians um, still had the same things that Daniel had. Daniel brought to Babylon, to Persia. He brought books like Isaiah that has, and we'll talk about this next week, has countless, many things pointing to Jesus. And so when Daniel had these, these books of the prophets and he had them and he brought them and he studied them, guess what? The other magi did the same thing. And so, 400 years later, guess what? You had a group of men 
from the Far East in Persia who knew that this was coming. God showed them a star. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But they came to the Christ child, to Jesus. How did they know that? How did they know that? There was no internet. There was no text message. They, they knew that because they studied lots, lots of literature and books and just old, old writings and scrolls. And one of those was Isaiah and many other prophets that Daniel ushered in and brought in. So Daniel was part of the wise men council. He was part of the magi. That's how these wise men came. So we even see Daniel, how God used Daniel to bring people from a far country into Jesus. And here's why this is important. Y'all, this, this is really important. Because Jesus didn't come just for the Jews. Yeah, I mean, there were shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks by night. And they came and they were Jews. And, and it's great. And obviously, Mary and Joseph, you know, being a Jew. But it's so important that we understand that, that Gentiles, Gentiles meaning those who are not Jews, so those outside of the Jewish family, the Gentiles, Jesus came for them as well. And so it was important to have Gentiles there at the birth, at that time of the season of Christmas, the first Christmas. Why? Because Jesus died for them too. Jesus came for them too. And there's no way they would have known except the scriptures. And there's no way the scriptures would have got there unless the Israelites would have been exiled, and there's no way they would have known about that unless Daniel introduced that. It's amazing. It's amazing the blueprint that God has laid out. We see this in Daniel 5, 11. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Appointed him chief of that. Nebuchadnezzar didn't do that. God did that. God put favor in his life. You never know Whatever position you have, great or small in your eyes, every position is great in the plan, in the blueprint of God's eyes. And then we also studied the life of beautiful Esther. Like, like Mary, Esther was placed on the earth for such a time as this. For such a time as this. You know, there was that, that we, we talked about this in the Esther sermon series, how Haman, the, the, the evil guy, he was, he was uh, trying to uh, annihilate the Jews. And, and, and Esther, being the, the new appointed, new selected queen there, uh, she uh, was able to approach, which was, which was a very risky move, was able to approach the king unannounced. And she went there to to disclose in full details, much detail she knew, of Haman's plan to destroy her people, the Jews. And of course, Haman was, uh, was hung for that. We saw that in that series. But, but Esther was, was, was put on that earth in that time for such a time as this. She, by herself, went 
boldly to save people and to carry a message. Just like Mary went boldly to carry a child that she, she didn't fully understand how she had a child, but she knew she did. The angel told her, obviously, she became pregnant, but she boldly went carrying the child, and that child would save mankind from their sins. And so we even see in, in, in Esther, and I wonder how many times the mother Mary would, would have just thought, you know, if I could just be like Esther, if I could just be bold like Esther, to walk and to keep moving forward. And then we saw in Nehemiah, this is one of the first, one of the first things we did over 18 months ago. We talked about Nehemiah and how he built the walls and how uh, he came back. And, and, and after the Israelites were exiled into these different countries and they, they were brought back and they were allowed to come back home and start the rebuilding process, the walls around Jerusalem were, were crumbled down. And Nehemiah, God put into him a vision and a, and a passion to rebuild the walls. And so he did. And even though while he was rebuilding the walls, there were, there were other people that were, had kind of been living there while the Israelites had been in exile. And they even told Nehemiah, Nehemiah, what are you doing? You can't do this. There's no way. And Nehemiah even says, look, I, I'm not going to come down from this wall. I'm not going to be distracted by you. It reminds me of what Jesus did. He came on this earth. He was not distracted by what other people were trying to pull him away. They were, they were trying to pull him away from his mission, his goal, and he would not allow it. His goal was to live the sinless life down a cross and allow God the Father to, rise, to raise him from the dead. And so as, as we see the story of Nehemiah building that wall kind of like the ruins of Jerusalem. Jesus came to rebuild the, out of the ruins to make something functional again. You know, God is all about, God is all about the remodel. <laughs> he is. And I love the fact that Jesus came as a carpenter. It makes sense. I wonder how many remodels he did. Yeah, I'm sure he built some, uh, some things, you know, that were, uh, that were kind of new, but I just wonder how many remodels he, he, he did, walk on the earth. And, and maybe, maybe some people hired Jesus I mean, before he started his ministry as a carpenter that he learned from his father, Joseph, and as he went to people's houses, you know, uh, this could be here, the bedroom could be here, the kitchen here, I can do this, I can, re, I can resurface this, I could build something here, and, 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 I, and I just, I wonder if he just was like, like I'm remodeling this house, I am all about the remodel of people's lives. Don't we love those remodels? We love those shows, don't we? We love those shows like the before and the after. You're like, oh, wow, this is so awesome. That's, more, that's even more exciting in my mind than a, than, than a house that just goes up. Because you see the before and you see the after. You see the junk and you see how God takes that junk and makes it into something beautiful. You see the ruins and how God's bring, God brings purpose to it. You see the broken down, crumbled walls and how God takes the ruins and he uses them. He doesn't discard the ruins. He uses the ruins. So whatever ruins you have in your life, Jesus, the carpenter, 
the Savior, the Messiah, he wants to use those ruins to rebuild and make something beautiful in your life. And we saw that all through the book of Nehemiah. And as we close, I can't help but as we started with Abraham, we're going to just end with a, a scene of Abraham's life. So we close out this message today. As we, as we look through the blueprint of how God was saying, okay, this is, this is Christmas. This is Jesus. This is, this is little snippets of how it's going to work. The scene that baffles me time and time again as I read it is where Abraham offers his one and only son on an altar. He takes Isaac, his son, lays him on the altar and does something out of obedience that God has asked him to do. And we can even read a little bit of this passage in in Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. That God said, take your son, your only son. I, I could just imagine God saying those words and just knowing in the future, God is gonna have to do the exact same thing. I just kind of imagine, I wonder if God was sort of living vicariously through this scene in Abraham's life. He's like, you know, I'm gonna have to do this. Take your son, your one and only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. So Abraham and Isaac traveled three days in the region of Moriah, which is the same region, the same area as Jerusalem. And so where the, the future city of Jerusalem, now understand, this is, this is before the Israelites. This is before God, God uh, basically created this family, blessed this family, then moved to Egypt, had 400 years of captivity there, moved over to the Israel, to back to this area, into the promised land that God was showing Abraham. And so this region of Moriah, there was no Jerusalem. There was, there was a Mount Calvary, but it wasn't called Calvary. It was there. There was a future place of the temple, in, uh, in Genesis 22, verse 9 through 12, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on, on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It's amazing, it's an amazing that an angel came to, to give the message that God wanted to share. An angel, an actual angel came and said to, said to Abraham. I, I, I've, I've, I've often wondered why, why did God just not speak to him in a voice why did the send angel? I, I just, it just makes me wonder. God knew that he was gonna have to do that with his only son, Jesus. I just wonder if God's just like, all right, <laughs> I, can't, I can't watch this. Angel, go stop it. I've gotta, I've gotta go over here. 
because I'm gonna have to do the same thing. I can imagine Abraham crying, tears, knowing it's gonna be something that he's gotta do and and he wants to obey the Lord out of obedience, but knowing this is his only son. And it amazes me how God made him travel three days, not to his backyard, three days to an area around the Moriah region, which is a future city of Jerusalem. I just wonder how close that sacrifice area where the altar that Abraham made and laid his son on the wood. I wonder how close that was to where modern day the temple is or maybe modern day where the actual sacrifice of Jesus on Mount Calvary. We don't know that. It's one of the questions I will ask. But we do know that Jerusalem is built around that mount in that region of Moriah. It just makes me wonder, and I would not be surprised, that God, knowing that Jesus would be sacrificed right outside the city gates, the walls of Jerusalem, that God would cause Abraham to ask him to do the same thing. It would stop him in just the nick of time and would show, would show Abraham that he has made a way. Of course, God provided the lamb instead and he sacrificed the lamb. You know, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, God has given us a blueprint. God has given us a blueprint through, through stories. And I, gosh, I could, I could speak for many, many hours and days, and, and you praise the Lord for that, uh, then I'm not gonna do that, but about how God revealed his plan, his blueprint, through the stories of people in God's word. Can I tell you something? You may say, Frank, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you because you and I are part of that blueprint and you have a blueprint that is designed by God. If God can create the world, has a vision for the creation of all the world, and, but he also has a blueprint for your life. If God could create this blueprint of, of Jesus coming into the world through the stories of, of other people, he has a blueprint for your life and the story that you are living as well. God has a plan for your life. Oh, Frank, I've done, I've done some horrible things. Yeah, you probably have. So have I. So, so does Rahab, the prostitute. So did David. So do many others. But God still works through our junk. God still has that blueprint. He's not crumbled it up. He's not torn it up. He still has it. You and I, we just need to trust in that blueprint. We need to trust in God. Watch areas in your life that God is speaking to you. How is God speaking to you? What is God showing you? What, are, what people in your life is he bringing into your life to show, look, this, this person in your life is important and it's gonna set up something else in motion. What, what job? You may say, I just got fired from my job. Guess what? That's, God's trying to tell you something. He's not trying to say you're a loser, you can't keep a job. He's trying to say, look, I've got something else. What is God telling you? What is God showing you? Because it's there. We're so distracted. 
We're so distracted. We need to ask God, God, show me. What are you telling me? What am I supposed to do? God will show you. But you got to have time with God. You got to take God's word. You got to spend some time in prayer. And you got to watch to see where God is working in your life because He is. You got to watch. And then guess what? Here, here's the next step you got to join Him in that work. Join Him in that work. That's what all these people did. There's a blueprint. And it has God's signature at the bottom of it. And it's waiting to be built. Next week, we'll talk how God built the foundation of Christmas through incredible, amazing stories and and passages through the prophets that'll blow your mind. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it.